Reading this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 16. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, My name is Charlie Rowland. I'm a member of the shepherding team. I am not that strong to hurt Henry. (laughs) I am. I wish I was, uh, but no, (laughs) not happening. Uh, Me and my wife have been attending here for around 10 years. Uh, And I am genuinely excited and honored to be able to open God's word with you this morning. So thank you again, worship team and Stephen, for for reading. So I want you to think of the last time you made a purchase, whether it be a service or an item or an experience. Uh, Mother's Day was just a few days ago, uh, you know. Maybe you think of a nice vacation you booked or something that you got from Amazon and you were happy that you got it. You were like, yes, that was worth it. That was a a good purchase. And do you know what made it a happy, joyful purchase? Because you saw the value. You saw the benefit of whether it brought you or a loved one. The opposite is true as well. Uh... You get frustrated and angry when you make a purchase or an experience and it was less than you expected or the item broke or it was a sham you're, you know, or it was a waste of money. You're upset over that purchase and you're not joyful and you say that was a, a waste of money. My hope this morning from this passage, we can see that God desires that our giving to his kingdom for his glory will be joyful, will be cheerful, will be happy when we do so. So let me give us a short context of where we're at. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, the past uh, two weeks, we've been going through a short series called Grace Gives, where we're just looking at chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, these two chapters primarily cover financial giving. And it's rich with examples and illustrations and uh, principles around 
this is what generosity and financially giving looks like as a Christian. What is happening in these two chapters is that there are some poor Christians up in Jerusalem. And they are, when we say poor, like they, they may be dying over not having enough food. And Paul has recognized that, and Paul has gathered his influence to write to uh, not only the Corinthians, but a few other churches as well, and said, let us take up an offering for these poor Christians and give to them, especially the Corinthians because they were part of an affluent culture. So the series is called Grace Gives, and we've been looking at how grace influences our giving. It is not grace demands or grace requires, because it is only by knowing that someone has been generous with you, that you have received grace, that then you return and can be generous with others. So what I want us to look at first is verse 7, and I want us to see what is God's desire for your, or what is God's desire for our giving? Look with me at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is not concerned with compulsively making his people give. Instead, he desires cheerful givers. He's not pressuring the Corinthians to give, uh, not uh, reluctantly as though giving involved a painful loss or under compulsion because there seems to be no alternative or because of exerted pressure. You know, when you go and get your coffee sometimes or your taco or just like a very simple service, you just go up and get it and the cashier flips the iPad to you and it says on there, 20% tip, 25% tip, 30% tip. I'm like, just got a coffee. And you feel like, and the person's standing right there and it's like, all right. There, I, I personally give in to those often. I'm like, yeah, I got a tip. I, I feel like the person's right there. That is not what God is concerned with. He's not concerned with uh, under pressure saying you need to give. Instead, he desires for it to come from a cheerful heart, a heart God cares about the attitude. So that is the first thing we see. God's desire for our giving is for it to be cheerful, not reluctantly or under pressure. There's actually something else that I do want us to see as well. There's a second thing that when we speak generally about God's desire for our giving, the second thing is this. God desires that his people give generously. That we are not stingy or frugal, but we sacrificially give to him. And I use the word sacrifice because we sacrifice our own luxuries so that others may have. The example of this is the Macedonians. So in chapter 8 with Nathan and Evan we're speaking about, Paul holds up an example to the Corinthians. And he said, the Macedonians are under extreme pressure, they're being persecuted, and they gave beyond their means. And so we see a second thing. The first is that God desires our giving to be cheerful, and the second is that God desires our giving to be generous, not frugal or stingy. These two things can feel to be intention, you know? It's pretty easy to do one, You know, it's pretty easy to have millions of dollars and being like, 
there's a few bucks, you know? It's pretty easy to just nose to the grind. I'm going to, you know, let me do my work. I'm going to sacrifice and give all to the Lord, but not do it cheerfully. But the Lord's desire is that these two things be held together. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that that actually happens, that we joyfully say, generously, I'll give, I'll give. So before we dive into this, I do want to say, if there's anyone in the room that does not consider themselves a follower of Christ, uh, someone who has said, I submit myself under the lordship of Jesus, I, I will think it's important to say, God does not desire this from you. He does not desire your money. Uh, he actually desires faith and repentance in his son. That is step one. I think sometimes people can fall into a mindset that thinks, hey, churches, I'll give my money to God, and then one day when I meet him, he's going to be like, I remember that. I'll get you back, and you can get in. That is literally the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says that God creates, sustains, and is in control of all things, the entire universe. We have sinned against him. Our debt is against God. And the solution is not our payments to God, but the solution is actually the Son of God, Jesus, sitting high in the heavens in complete luxury, in no need of anything, happy as a clam, and then says, I will become poor for their sake. And so he becomes a man, and he, you know, 2,000 years ago, becomes a man, lives a life of a middle to low class citizen, slept on cold, wet boats, has no place to lay his head, and he pays our debt. And our way of getting into that is not through our works, but is in our trust and our faith in him. Not giving money to God. That does not reconcile us to God. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. So the cheerful part of our giving can come from receiving the payment that Jesus Christ has already made. And that in turn creates, um, and the generous part comes from faith in Jesus as well, seeing all that he did and his ability to care for you. And so I do, all of us, all of us lack a little bit in these areas. All of us could, could increase in our joy and our sacrificial giving. And the key is, Look to Jesus. Look to understand the grace that you've received more. Look to the example of Jesus Christ and look at what we're going to look at today. So uh, my hope as we go through this, that you see the value in giving your time, your energy, your entire life, and your money to the Lord. So let's look. Um, The word benefit here could be replaced with value. So the benefit or value number one of why you should do this, you will be spiritually rich. You will be spiritually rich. The point is this, the verse six says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, not a lot, will also reap not a lot sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap Bountifully. So he's saying, he's applying a farming illustration to the principle of giving. If you give a little, you're going to get a little. Uh, 
I grew up in Avondale, Pennsylvania. My parents had a couple acres of land. And I don't know why. They put the garden smack dab in the middle of the lawn. And I don't know if it was me or one of my younger sisters, but at one point, my parents said, you guys can go out and plant the pumpkins this year. And I don't know if they gave us like six bags of pumpkin seeds and said only plant one. But my goodness, we planted all the pumpkin seeds and the, I don't know if you've ever seen pumpkins grow before, but they take over an entire lawn. They, they make themselves at home. And so we planted a lot, and literally our grass was all over the place. We could not even cut the grass straight because, you know, they go everywhere. That is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, give a lot, and you're going to get a lot. Peter, um, in Mark, in the in Mark chapter 10, Peter asked Jesus a similar question. Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, look how great we are. We have left everything and we have followed after you. And Jesus kindly corrected him and said, in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, he said, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or family members or property for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold Now, in this time, houses, family members, money, you will have persecutions, but you will receive it now and in the age to come, eternal life. A hundredfold from whatever is lost, both in this life and in the life to come. If you sow few seeds, you get few crops. If you sow a lot of seeds, you get a hundredfold. Hebrews 11, when um, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about faith, Moses understood this as well. Hebrews 11 says, when speaking of Moses, Moses considered, so he thought about, that the reproach of Christ is greater wealth, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking for the reward. We have a choice to give up our time, our energy, our money, and in returns, the rewards are rich. It is rich rewards. We sang about some of them this morning. It is being reconciled to God. It is having the comfort and assurance of knowing eternal life. It is having eternal life now. Now, you will notice, I said benefit number one, you will be spiritually rich. I didn't just say you will be rich. I think we have to be a little careful when um, we speak in these terms. So, for example, um, so I do believe these verses can say this. These verses do not necessarily exclude the reality of getting more money in this life. Said a different way. These verses say that God may give us more money in this life if we give. And I say that because God is ultimately in control of all things. He, he, everything is under his control. If you give cheerfully to the Lord, he may feel blessed and happy to say, and more for you. I've entrusted you with a little, trust you with a lot more. So it's very clear that like God, you may give a lot and God may say, and here's a lot more for you. But I think we do have to be careful when we speak in these ways. And the reason for it is this, the Bible's emphasis is not ever on how much more you're going to get, but the Bible's emphasis and God's emphasis is always setting the focus and setting the emphasis on not what we can get, but on what we can give and on what we can do for the Lord. 
Paul and others do not see sowing the harvest to get more for yourself, but to instead that God may give us more to give to others and for him. Why this is uh, important to clarify is because there's a mindset, there's a theology that goes very similar. It's, it's often called like prosperity theology or prosperity gospel. And it often goes and sets its emphasis on you or me receiving in this life health, wealth, and prosperity. And that mindset is not exactly what I think the New Testament and what Jesus sets forward. The mindset uh, of health, wealth, and prosperity is focused on us. We're in mindset of New Testament Christian giving is set on giving to others and dedicating oneself to the Lord. There's a few reasons why this is dangerous, because it's twisting scripture, um, and it also twists certain scripture of things that we are only supposed to experience in heaven, says you can experience now. It also undercuts the reality that spiritual nearness to the Lord far outweighs any benefit that, you can, that can be bought in this life. Uh, it undercuts the reality that the giver is better than any gift you can receive. That's why, we, that's why all the hymns we just sang, they're so focused on Jesus Christ. It's not so focused on the things Jesus Christ gives. No, we receive Christ. So I think you have to be careful to not fall into that mindset of loving the, the gifts more than the giver. Um, but I also think it's, it's important and uh, and encouraging to remind oneself that uh, the gifts are, are shadows of the giver. Any, any bad theology or sinfulness is always less than and not greater than. The problem with prosperity gospel is it's just concerned with pleasures that last during this lifetime. Wouldn't you much rather have treasure and joy that lasts now and for eternity. That is the better investment. When you have your eyes set on the spiritual good and on drawing near to the Lord and on others, that is true riches. There is coming a time, and I, anyone who gives, anyone who gives sacrificially of their time, of their energy, of their money, there is coming a time more real than any breath that we just take, that those treasures will be actualized. And you will never regret any sweat, tears, work that you have done for the Lord. Because that will be actualized. And you will see, ah, I'm with the Lord. So we see benefit number one, you can be spiritually rich by drawing near to the Lord, by giving of your limited resources. Benefit number two, we see, or value number two, we see in verses 8 through 11, you will be all supplied. We will be all supplied. Look with me at verses 8, and keep your eye on all of the alls. You see... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency or all contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
for Paul, having um, all of these things means that we have everything we need to be content and respond faithfully to the Lord at each point in time. At any and every point, we have all that we need to respond faithfully to the Lord and be, res- and be rewarded for our faithful obedience to Him. That is what matters. The Lord is able to provide all contentment in all situations at all times so that we can abound in every good work. Paul quotes a psalm in chapter 9, or not chapter 9, verse 9. And it is most helpful to see that this, and how Paul is utilizing the psalm is that God is the subject. So a way of reading it is reading, God has distributed freely. God has given to the poor. God's righteousness endures forever. God seems to be the emphasis and the subject here in these few verses here. And then in verse 10, we are reminded of who gives the control, um, who gives the growth, and who is in control of all these things. It answers the implicit question of how is this possible? How is God able to provide all things at all times? I think verse 10 through verse 11b shares with us how that is. God supplies. God is the one who supplies the seed to the sower and bread um, and bread for food. So it is him who supplies. And how is that? Because God is all sufficient in and of himself. He owns all things. He's in control of all things. Psalm 50 reflects this truth. It says, every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on every single hill ever is his. In an agrarian culture, that like means all the riches and wealth is God. He goes on to say, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are all mine. All of it is his. Every bank, every billionaire, every Fortune 500 company, it is all his. Down to the smallest roll of the dice, God is not surprised by anything and in and is in control of all things. He is sufficient in himself. He sits high in the heavens. He's not reliant on anyone else. It says he is an unapproachable light. He needs no one. He is in perfect bliss, joy, and happiness on his own. Converse, or oppositely, the universe is dependent on him instead. He owns that. He is the one that continually feeds and sustains all of creation. Paul says in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So we see here, God is the one that is self-sufficient in himself. What should be our response to these things? What should be our response to knowing, wow, God is completely and utterly in control of all things and sustains all things? I think Luke 12 gives what our response to this should be. Luke 12 verses 27 through 34 reminds us how we should respond to this. 27 says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God, again, you see there, God is the one who clothes the grass of the field, which is alive which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. We see instead what he longs for us to do. Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Additionally, fear not, little flock, For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then, very pointedly, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The truth that everything is under God's control does not result in us Christians being made billionaires and ruling the world and living in luxury. Instead, that truth should f- like free us up to live not in anxiety, but knowing God is in control of all things. He can provide for me. And additionally, which we just saw, we are to sell, not hold on to our possessions, not hoard up our possessions. We're supposed to sell and freely give of our possessions and our time and our money, all of these things to gain spiritual life in God. I will say this is not easy to do. And I, I say this is like one who as well feels that it's not easy. And I, the question is, why is it not easy? Why is it so hard to, um, why is it that often we have tight grips on our time or tight grips on our finances or on our schedules or who exactly we hang out with or what exactly the next few years of our life looks like or what exactly we want to do? I think one of the reasons is, is because we are prideful people. I say this to all of us, mostly my own soul. We are prideful people. We believe we deserve what we get. We often also think, and when we see our bank accounts and our 401ks, we think, that's my money. I put that there. When we get promoted, we think, yeah, I did that work. Or when a child is raised up and is extraordinary or kind or smart, we see ourselves there. Or when you get the degree or the internship or great grades, we are prideful and take glory for that. We should be reminded that everything we have is a free and undeserved gift from God. And that gift is is mediated to us through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Everything we have is by grace. Life and breath and everything is a gift of God. We are not naturally deserving of these things. We are not, and, and we are not the ultimate owners of all of these things. We are stewards by which the Lord has given us these things to bring Him honor and glory. So, how can you give in a generous and a joyful way? One way is by seeing we will be all supplied by the Lord. The Lord is in control of all things. The final thing I want us to see this morning is benefit number three or value number three. The other person gives 
glory to God. The other person gives glory to God. I spoke in um, benefit number two, really highlighting uh, the ultimate control of God, also referred to sometimes as God's sovereignty. But we also find here in benefit number three that I just shared, the other person gives glory to God, we find here our responsibility. We are not left without, like, we don't just lean on that. We are given and told to be responsible with what he's given us. The joy that we can experience through faithful obedience is seen here. So Paul shares in these verses, in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, that being generous and giving to the poor Christians in Jerusalem will produce and result in a few things. So one thing that it will um, produce, as he says in the second half of verse 11, it'll produce thanksgiving to God. Or in verse 12, he's going to say, hey, for this ministry that you guys are doing, it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So those people who will receive it, they're going to thank the Lord. Or in verse 13, he says, the people who will receive the gift, they will glorify God. I came across an excellent quote um, in studying this, and it reminds us all why we are given resources. When God gives us our resources, God gives us more than we need, not so that we can have more, but so that we can give more to others. God does not bestow material blessings so that one can hoard them for oneself or withdraw from others but so that they might be shared with others. So why are we giving these things? To be sharing with others. Something else that stands out to me, and if you're like pretty Bible sharp, you'll know this. Um, When you often read Paul's letters, you will definitely pick up that Paul is like lasered focused on sharing the gospel. So he is like, that is like his mission. He's like, I'm planting churches, setting up elders, organizing deacons, and I'm sharing the gospel. And that's what you see all throughout Acts and all of his epistles. Um, But something that amazed me, even from studying this, is Paul, and this was not, through my study, I found this, this was not like an overnight thing where he was just like, hey, let's go take care of some Christians up in, uh, poor Christians up in Jerusalem. This was a multi-year effort that Paul cared about the physical needs of people. And I think we often as well need to be careful to not only care about the spiritual needs of people, but also see that like caring for people physically matters and is right and good, just as Paul was doing here. So we see Paul is caring for the needs of the saint, the needs of the saints, and we see here that the people, the recipients of this gift will give glory to God, and those people will be thankful to God. Many years ago, um, people at this church decided to generously give to a local ministry um, down the street, down in the University of Delaware. And they not only gave like a little bit, they gave sacrificially. They were like, we're going to supply you with a staff person. And in result, that caused that ministry, primarily was the Lord's growth, but through these people giving generously, the Lord used that to bless that ministry. And in my college days, I was not walking with the Lord. I was literally on a pathway to hell. But it was through this ministry, it was through this ministry and people involved in that ministry 
that I then came to the Lord. That they then, you know, did stupid things like play basketball at midnight. But, you know, for a non-Christian, it's like, hey, I'm still awake at midnight. And for Alex Mead to be like, fine, we'll go play basketball. It, hey, it connected with me. And then be like, all right, come to a Bible study. But those people gave many years ago, and it resulted in me coming to know Christ. And now I give glory to God. I thank the Lord. I seek to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Lord willing, my daughter will grow up with a father who loves the Lord because of their generosity years and years and years ago. I am not unique in saying this. Okay, I'm just the one that's like using this example right now. I'm not unique. Every one of you listening, every one of you who has trusted in Christ, someone else played a role in you coming to Christ. Someone else, somewhere in the past, was generous with their time, their money, their energy, their affection, or their schedule, whether it be a Bible study, having lunch together, watching the children for you, hanging out with you when you were only lonely, at some point, someone else was generous with you. And now you give glory to God. And now you thank the Lord. We are called to love one another. And you can show that your love is genuine by giving up your limited resources for other people so that other people will thank the Lord and give glory to Him. Whether that be here at Ogletown, whether that be personally by knowing someone, whether that be through other ministry organizations, it is all just that you are setting your mind on, I'm seeking to further the kingdom of God. So I encourage you to give, to give sacrificially and joyfully, knowing that one day in heaven you may meet someone because of that. So in closing, what does God desire? I've said this a lot of times, generous and cheerful. How do we get there? One of the ways is by reminding us, is is of ingraining in our hearts and seeing from God's scripture, what are the benefits? What's the value of this? How How do I persuade and move my heart? Asking the Lord, Lord, help me to believe these things here. First, we see and believe there's spiritual riches there. There's spiritual life. Uh, I mean, Luke 12 says, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Okay, so I was going to say, like, give up those limited things, and what do you gain? Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. Isn't that such a value difference? It's like, get rid of those things and get rich by giving yourself money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So don't try to hoard up resources on this side of eternity. Instead, give them to the Lord. Gain spiritual life. Gain spiritual riches. The second benefit we looked at, a reason why we can do this, is because God is the one who bestows all gifts. God is the one ultimately in control. And so you may give things up and the Lord be pleased and say, all right, I'll replenish you. He's like the infinite bank account. He's like, he can do so if he pleases. And then finally, God allows us to partake in his work. We can see others bring glory to God through our giving. We can participate in advancing the kingdom of God. This is true treasure. This is true change. This is worth cheerfully giving towards. Let's close in a word of prayer. 
God, we thank you for your word. We're thankful we were able to look at it this morning. I pray and I hope, Lord, that it's become a little more clear in our minds. Father, help us to see the deception and the lies of worldly treasures. They, are, they will not comfort us. They will not bring us ultimate satisfaction. Help us to hunger instead after you. Fill us now with your spirit. Help us to be generous with every asset you have given and entrusted to us. Things like time and our affections, our money, all of it, Lord. Help us to be generous with all of it. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and chiefly the example of, the, of your son who reigned and was in ultimate luxury and for and out of obedience and out of the joy set before him became poor and died on a cross for all of us and paid our debt. Father, help us to walk in that example. Help us to be like our older brother. Help us to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. By your Spirit, transform our hearts to do that. We thank you and say these things in his name. Amen.